you so much for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would come humbly and that we would be teachable and that we would realize that all that's been given to us is not on the basis of our merit or on our good deeds or on our strength of will or any other thing that we could say is from us, but that what we have is from you. It's from your grace that you've given it to us. You've lavished it upon us in your son, Jesus. And so, Father, as we think about the glorious gospel and our mission in light of that, we pray, Father, uh, that you'll keep us focused on the word, that we would keep the main thing the main thing, and that uh, your spirit would be moving not only with me to speak accurately and correctly, but also for all of us as we come to your word, that we would... uh, be more like your son because of what is said here in the text. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. So uh, I, re- I remember one time uh, the youth group of the church was asked to clean the kitchen of the church, and I was part of the youth group at this time, and uh, we were super responsible, and we thought that what that meant by cleaning the kitchen was that we pull out all of the butter knives and have a butter knife fight. Uh, We ended up dirtying all the silverware, which was super cool, when the youth leader came in and said, what are you doing? We said, we're cleaning the kitchen. (laughs) That's what we're doing. That's what you asked us to do. Clearly, when we were asked to clean the kitchen, there was one objective, one mission that That looked very specific. Then there was what we did. Wasn't what was asked of us. We thought we were doing what was asked of us. Not really because we didn't really want to do it. We wanted to do something else. Unfortunately, when I think of the church and what God has asked us to do as a church, we're a lot like a youth group trying to clean the kitchen, a.k.a. have a butter knife fight. There are several things, several objectives that are given to us. One main objective given to us by God. And we are really good at then adding other objectives because we don't really know the objective. We really don't know the divine mission that's given to us. We uh, major and we spend most of our time and energy on things that is really nothing more than spiritual busy work. And the things that are of the first importance, that are really matter, we neglect those things. And so it's really important for us to have several times where we get our mind adjusted correctly, that we know our mission, we know what we're called to do, that we focus on the thing that's the most important thing. And if we get to those things that are secondary and that are third and are fourth and fifth and so on, great. But, but we got to make sure that we know why we're here, why we exist as a church. This text before us, still thinking of an introduction to the book of Romans, uh, we're going to be in Romans 1, verse 1. I plan on going to verse 7, but we'll see where we're going. There are no roads, so uh, if we get lost in the woods, you'll know where to find us next week. We'll be in the same spot. 
But the goal is for us to stay focused on the main thing. Stay focused on our mission. We've been given a mission as a church, as a church globally, and us as a representation of that universal church. We've been given that mission. And here Paul is going to talk about his philosophy of ministry, his mission, and it's going to help us sharpen ourselves, sharpen our own mission. And there's, we're going to see four things in these first seven verses. First, we're going to see the divine ministry. What is this divine ministry that's been given to us? In order for us to know our mission, we got to know why we're here. We got to know what we're doing, right? Then we have this divine message in verses 2 through 4. So first, the ministry. Then in 2 and 4, it's the message. Paul tells us our message. This is it. God gives us the message. We don't have to go around and do market research to say, what message do you think people really want to hear? No, we don't, we don't have the option of doing that. There's already been a whole bunch of research on what our message is supposed to be, and that was given to us by God. We don't have the right to change it or say, let's do a different message. This is our message. Then what we're going to see in verses 5 through 6, our motivation, right? We have to have the right motivation. We can't, it, it's improper for us to have a, a correct view of what the, what, what the mission is and, and our ministry, and we have this message, but we have a different motivation, right? Talk about that. And then last, we're going to see in verse 7, man, our divine membership. We got to know who we are, right? We got to know, we got to know who God has made us by his grace. So, Let's look at this, and we'll spend some time in each of these thinking about our mission as a church and how we're supposed to function. So let's first look at verse 1 and look at this divine mission. Notice what Paul writes. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, really, from here on out, all the stuff that he's going to say in verses 1 through 7, he's going to say throughout the book. So if we don't spend a lot of time in verses 1 through 7, the reason is... Because he's going to talk about this for the rest of the book. And while as much as I would love to preach the book of Romans before we preach the book of Romans, as we're then preaching through the book of Romans, that might get a little monotonous. So, but notice we know the author's Paul, right? It's very interesting that he considers himself Paul. Uh, we first find him in the book of Acts as Saul, and there seems to be, as, as Paul begins to, to interact with more Gentile believers. He adopts more of a Greek name, Paul, instead of Saul. Saul would be a very Hebrew name. Paul is a very Greek name. Some people have made lots of money writing books on why Paul changed his name. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, he's called Paul here, right? And if there was any great significance, he probably would have told us uh, why he did it, uh, but I, I think it's most likely because he, he's talking to Gentiles. What's more important is the next word, right? Paul, and then he uses this word, and it's the Greek word doulos. In verse 1, as he's talking about his ministry, he describes his ministry, and he describes himself by three titles, or in three ways. So the first is this, a servant of Christ Jesus. The second is called to be an apostle, and then the third is to be set apart for the gospel of God. So he says, I'm Paul, a servant. Now this Greek word is the Greek word doulos. I know that probably doesn't mean a lot to any of us, unless you're a theology nerd and you like putting Greek words on stuff. This would be a good one to put on to stuff, doulos, right? The word means, you ready for it? Slave. That's what it means. 
In the ancient world, this was a slave. This was somebody who was bought, was owned by someone else, did not have a will to do what they wanted to do. Their job was to do the will of someone else. Now, Paul will discuss this slaveship and why and this slavehood to Christ, and he'll talk about his slavery to Christ. And we'll, we're going to learn that this slavery is a little bit different than how a lot of other religions talk about slavery to God. We realize that we're also children, right? So when we receive the Holy Spirit, of course there is to be this slavish obedience to our Father, right? But that's but we're not coming as slaves. We're coming as children who have a slavish obedience. But notice, this is the first thing that Paul says to this church. And as we're going to find out later in the book, Paul has never been here. And so this is his introduction to the church, right? To, this, to these believers in Rome. And the first thing that he wants them to know is that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we've been going through our uh, series on Sunday night on the surveys of the, the Bible, and as we've been going through several of the epistles of Paul and several of the epistles of the other, the other writers, I am struck at the humility of all the writers. Because I got to be honest, if I was an apostle, I would let you know I was an apostle always. I would sneak that into conversations in things that doesn't, it doesn't even match. Hey, Caleb, how was breakfast this morning? As an apostle, I thought it was great, right? I would do that, right? Here you have this one who's humble. The first thing that he considers himself is a slave to Jesus. He, 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 is, a, he is a slave to the will of Jesus. He's, he's a slave to the person of Jesus, to the message of Jesus, uh, what, what Jesus wants, that's what he wants. He wants to do the will of the one who's sending him. He sees himself as a servant. He sees himself as a slave. He sees himself to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That is his, that is his ministry. First and foremost, he's a slave to Jesus. What Jesus says, that's what I got to do. You don't like the command? Take it up with the master. I'm not the master. I don't get to determine what I do. I don't get to determine what I say. I don't get to determine where I go. It's all him because I'm a slave to Jesus. This is an important thing for us to think about when we think about our ministry as a church. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. We're children, but we're slaves. We're servants. That's the, that's the way that we should view ourselves first, servants. I don't have the right to determine what I do and where I go. I'm doing this all based off of the will of the one who sent me. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, had the same idea. Uh, several times he says, I'm not speaking on my own initiative. I'm not doing these things on my own authority, but on the authority of him who sent me. So Paul's ministry is first one of a servant. It's one of humility, it's one of teachability, it's one of submissiveness and obedience to Jesus. Any ministry that we do here at Lewis and Clark Bible Church, as members here, as members of the body of Christ, have to come with that same attitude first. Submissiveness to Jesus, submissiveness to his will. Now notice, there's, there's another thing, because, because he, he doesn't end there. It's not just, I'm a servant, I'm a slave. He, he then uses this next title, which is called, he's called. 
Now, this idea of calling is not just like what we would think of calling, right? Like I need to talk to somebody, so I pick up my phone and dial, right? And I talk to them. That's not the type of calling here. The type of calling is this specific selection of a person to do a specific task. That's what the idea of calling is. We're going to see how every believer is called later on in this text. Throughout this book, this is a major theme of us as believers, that as we view ourselves, we view ourselves as being submissive to Jesus, and also we have been chosen for a specific ministry and purpose. Our salvation is not purposeless, nor is it to be selfish. We are called to something. We're called to do something. So here, what was, call, what was Paul called to do? What was he called to be? He was called to be an apostle. Now, this term apostle is a very interesting word. We've discussed this word apostle several times, but just as a way of reminder, there was only a couple of them, right? There's no apostles today. Some people try to get really, really tricky with the meaning of the word apostle. I remember one guy sent a missionary update card, and in it, he had like this postcard, and it had a penny glued to it. And he goes, I'm an apostle, one cent. And I thought, that is the hokiest joke, really weird, not really, not really understanding what this title is. This word for apostle, yes, it, is, it does mean one cent, but it's far more than just somebody tells you to go over there. This is speaking of somebody who acts as a representative of another person. This is somebody who's, who's given credentials and responsibility. It's one that's carried out as a specific ambassador. So an apostle is someone that is, a, is specifically commissioned, right? And this inside of the church is a very specific office. We're talking about an office of leadership that was sent specifically by Jesus Christ to act as an authority inside of the church. And from my understanding of what an apostle is, there are at least four marks of an apostle in the New Testament. And you had to be able to point to these and say, look, I've seen this, I've done this, I've been commissioned. And these are the four. One, you had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. You had to see him. You had to see him. You can't just, you can't just say, well, God chose me and sent me as a special authority inside of the church. No, 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 no. no. You had to actually see the risen Jesus Christ. You had to be, you ready for this? You had to be commissioned directly and audibly from Jesus Christ. So you had to witness and see the resurrected Christ. You then had to be directly commissioned by Christ. We may add to that as well that you had to be taught directly by Jesus. Now, we're all taught by Jesus, but what I mean is, no, no, no. He spends time with you, teaching you specifically. So you think about the disciples who then later became the apostles. They were taught by Jesus over a period of three years. The apostle Paul was taught directly by Jesus directly, not the way that we learn it. We're talking face-to-face for three years. So they had to be taught and commissioned. 
There's another one, you had to be selected by the Holy Spirit, right? There had to be this selection, there's this dual selection. And then lastly, you're ready? You had to be able to perform the signs and wonders of an apostle. So you had to do the stuff that apostles do. And there were specific signs that they did that demonstrated that they were spokesmen from God. So the apostle Paul, he fulfills this. You and I don't fulfill this. And the apostles served a very specific purpose in the church. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice, notice what Paul says in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 2. As he's talking to the church, he's, he, he's giving a, a description of the church. That's what I think the book of Ephesians is about. Is, it's kind of like the, the manual for what does it mean to be a member of a local church, right? That's, if, if 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are the pastor's manual, then Ephesians could, be, could serve as what we're supposed to do. And so it's really important that we understand certain things. But notice what he says in verse 20. He says, as he's talking about the faith, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles served a very important role in setting the foundation. Guess what? That foundation has been set. We don't need another foundation set right? It's not like I was the guy that had to build your house. If I'm building your house, you need a new foundation. But if the apostles built and Jesus Christ built, you don't need another one. That's a pretty good foundation. And the foundation that we have is their words through the New Testament. This is an important thing, right? When the apostle Paul claims that his calling is to be an apostle, this is his I'm called to be a leader in the church. I'm called to be a pillar of the church. I'm called by God to serve this specific role of setting a foundation. Then notice the next thing that he says of his ministry. So he's first a servant, slave. Then he's called to be an apostle. Notice the next one. He says, and set apart for the gospel of God. This idea for setting apart well, that's really what it means. It means separated for God's own purpose, set aside for his own purpose. Paul is not to be self-willed. He, he has one specific lane, and that specific lane is the gospel. Now, as I think about our ministry as a church, this is a really good checklist for us to think through, right? I'm a servant. I'm supposed to be submissive, Right? I'm supposed to be submissive to Jesus. I've been called to a specific ministry, and I need to know that ministry, right? That's what I'm called to do. And I've been called, set apart, concerned with one message. I'm set apart, specifically dedicated to the gospel of God. That's what I'm about. That's what we're about. We're about the gospel. We're about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that anyone who places their faith solely on Jesus, his person and work, then we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit and transformed to being made more like Christ. That's our message. That's what makes us relevant in every conversation. It's sad. Sometimes we think, well, I'm set apart for the gospel and also the political party I'm a part of. (laughs) Or, and the football team right? The Bills are playing tonight, right? 
set aside for them. I'm set aside for the gospel and guitar playing. I'm set aside for the gospel and this, set aside for this. And sometimes those secondary causes, though they may be important, though they may not even be important, they somehow weasel in, right, and take our eyes off of our ministry. My goal here is to serve Jesus. Our goal as a church is to serve Jesus. That's our ministry. We don't get to determine what that looks like. Jesus does. We don't get to determine the message. Jesus does. This is the gospel of God. So now Paul will talk about this message. So this now in verses 2 through 4, we want to talk about our divine message. We've been given the message. We don't have to go around and knock on people's door and say, what kind of message do you think we need? We don't have to sit together and think, what do you think would be a really good message that would really inspire people to be better? We're not concerned about that, right? We have message, the gospel. Now, Paul is about ready to define the gospel. As I shared last week, I will lament once again publicly. I think it is really sad that the church, those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, cannot articulate the gospel. We're not talking about are they willing to share the gospel. There are a lot of people who, if you were to ask them what the gospel was, they would give an answer, and you had to walk away going, that's not the gospel. I, I mean, I guess that's okay, but that's not the gospel. That, that, that's not the message that saves. Yeah, it's important to know that God loves you, but that doesn't save you. Yeah, it's important to know that God sent his son because he loves you, and Jesus offers an example. That's great. Awesome. But if you don't know Jesus, his example does nothing for you. Yet God wants to redeem people. Great. That's what he wants to do. That's not the gospel. It's not the message. Paul's now going to tell us the message. Now, he's going to go in great detail. So if I skip over it here, know that we will discuss all of this later on in the book. Trust me when I say we will discuss all of this later on in the book. Uh, this week, I was just thinking of verse 2 and thinking, oh my, to think of all of the prophecies that were mentioned about Jesus and the, try, to, try to guess which ones Paul had in his mind. And then I thought, I don't have to guess. I just have to read the next couple chapters. And I know exactly what Paul's thinking because he tells us. So notice how Paul describes this gospel right? This is the gospel he's been set apart. This is the message. And notice, which, so it's the gospel of God, this good news from God, he's describing it, which he, being God the Father, promised beforehand. So this tells us a couple things. One, this tells us that the gospel has been part of God's eternal plan from the beginning. This has not been plan B, it's not as if God looked at the Old Testament and saw Israel and goes, they messed up so royally, we got to fix this now, right? They couldn't get it, so now I got to figure something else out. This has been his, in, his eternal intention from the beginning. Notice that it's a message of promise. It's really important. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of promise, right? There's good news. 
It's not all bad news. This is good news. There's a lot of time where I hear people talking about the gospel, and they spend a lot of time about the bad news. Great. Awesome. Everybody needs to know they're a sinner, but I don't think you have to spend a lot of time demonstrating somebody's a sinner because I think we all know we're sinners. The, the real point of the gospel is the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? So notice that this was promised, and then notice it was promised beforehand, not after. So it wasn't as if God saw what Jesus did and said, hey, it worked. Uh, here's a promise. This was promised beforehand. And notice who it was promised through. Through the prophets. Through his prophets. Through those men who wrote in the Old Testament. And notice it's in the scriptures. It's something that any one of these Romans could have went and looked through. We could go from Genesis all the way to Malachi or Malachi, however you want to describe, however you want to pronounce it. We could go through all of those. And we could look at these incredible promises of this one that is coming to redeem man. And there are these incredible promises that God gives Israel. And these incredible promises of redemption and of this new earth. And there's these incredible promises. God has been promising this from the beginning. From the very, very beginning. And you can see it in the scriptures. This teaches us not only that this is eternal, but that this is a scriptural message. Got to do another pet peeve here. I've heard several people try to share the gospel lately and not use the Bible. Not a fan of that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? That, so it's important to use the scripture. But, but what's even more devastating is what they use to try to talk about the gospel, no, I feel like God is a really good communicator, and he tells us about the gospel. The, the power is the word, because God wrote this. It comes from the word, right? You can see it in the scriptures. But, but what's the promise concerning? What's the promise concerning? Well, notice what it is. Concerning his son. Whose son? God the Father's son. The one who's been the son from all eternity. He's been the eternal son. So the message... The gospel promise is centered around God's Son, Jesus Christ. And notice what it is. It's concerning his Son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh. Why is that important? Why do I need to know that he's from David? We could go through all the Old Testament, starting from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God made a promise to David one of your descendants will sit on the throne. During the life of Jesus, what did they cry out to Jesus? Son of David, have mercy on me. This term, son of David, being a descendant of David, not only speaks of the, the, the promise of the future kingdom that's coming, but it was a way to distinguish this one that's coming that will redeem Israel, who's known as the Messiah. So it's not just any promise. It's this specific promise of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. So as, as Paul's thinking about this gospel message, as he's saying, I've been set apart for this gospel message. This is a gospel message that you can clearly see in the scriptures that is part of God's eternal plan that has clearly worked itself out in Christ, who is a descendant of David. 
I would also add, if you notice, when it says he's a descendant from David, and it says according to the flesh, you see that? That's, a, that's an important little thing to circle. That means that Paul is identifying Jesus as being human. He was human, right? He was fully human. That's important. That's important. We'll talk more about why that's important later on in the book, because he deals with it. But in Paul, this is an important thing. He became human. So some people have critiqued Paul. Why they would, I don't know. Well, Paul, you forgot about the virgin birth. No, he didn't. He doesn't have to explain everything. He's talking about the the incarnation of Jesus, right? And then notice this next thing. Really interesting, verse 4. And it says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This word for declared does not mean that there was a time in which Jesus was not the Son, and then the resurrection happened, and now he has become the Son. Some people believe that. I don't think that's what's being said here. What I think is being said is, He was identified as the Messiah at the point of the resurrection, right? So when the resurrection happened, it was as if it was God himself saying, this is the one. If you're looking for the Messiah, he's right there. Don't miss him. He's right there. This is the eternal son. All of those promises I've been talking about, he's the one. That's what I think this declaring the son of God is. That, that, that he has announced that he's the son of God. He didn't become the son of God. He's always been the son. He's been the eternal son. He's just declared to be the son. And notice, notice the powerful way that he was declared. He was declared in power. By whose power? According to the spirit of holiness. I take this phrase, the spirit of holiness, to refer to the Holy Spirit, the spirit who brings about holiness, right? What this means is, is that you see the entire Trinity involved in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So the Holy Spirit powerfully resurrected Jesus from from the dead, which was an identifier that he is the Messiah, And notice that it was resurrected him from the dead. See, when we talk about the gospel, we're not just talking Jesus loves you. Though that's an important thing to know. We're talking about Jesus and God loves you so much that even while you were yet a sinner, God sent Jesus to come and die for your sins. And he was buried and rose again on the third day. And you need to trust Jesus and Jesus alone for your eternal salvation. So that you can have a right relationship with God. You do not have a right relationship with God apart from Jesus. That's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we can be right with God. On the basis of faith and faith alone. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. This is the message that he's preaching. It's centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So now you know why the message is so important. We don't have the right to change this message. Are you kidding me? What what other message could we talk to people about that is more powerful 
and more meaningful than this message. You won't come up with one. Now, you might think you have one, and I guarantee you as you start saying it out loud and you start thinking about the gospel in comparison, you'll go, you know, I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. (laughs) I got over my skis. So notice, this is the message, right? This is our divine message. It's what we've been given. Now, there's a great motivation, right? In our mission, not only do we have a ministry, we have a message, but we have to have the right motivation. So notice what it says. It says, through whom? Through Jesus, through God, through the, through, through the triune Godhead, we have received grace and apostleship. Now, I think here Paul's talking primarily of himself. He may be talking about the other apostles. And so as he's talking about his ministry, though, that's what he's really thinking about is his ministry. He, he just took a little gospel detour, right, when he says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. Just in case you don't know, let me say it. And now he's back on to his ministry. So he's thinking, this thing that I received is one on the basis of grace. So important that when you and I think about what motivates us to live the Christian life, it has to start from the basis of grace. I have tried many years of my life to try to be motivated to be holy on the basis of fear, on the basis of legalism, on the basis of a whole bunch of lists, on the basis of a whole bunch of other stuff. No, I am motivated by the love of God. And as I see his grace that's lavished upon me, there's this overwhelming sense of gratitude that fills my heart. And I say, I want to live for you now. Look at all that you've given me. I want to live for you. I want to, I want to honor and glorify you. I want to magnify you. The the motivation is based off of God's grace, his mercy. Later on, Paul will say, based upon the mercies of God, therefore, present your body as a holy living sacrifice. We got to start from grace. (laughs) We didn't earn this. This was given to us. And so notice we received this grace and this apostleship. But what's the purpose of that apostleship? What's the purpose of that grace? What's the purpose of that ministry? And then he says to bring about the obedience of faith. So here, this is a really kind of difficult phrase uh, to translate, obedience of faith. What I think he's talking about here is faithful obedience. I think he's looking at the end product and thinking about all of the things that, that happen in faithful obedience from the very beginning of that time when you first placed your faith in Jesus Christ as you were obedient to the call of the gospel to trust Jesus, and then that entire sanctification process, the life of the believer is one that is to be characterized by faithfulness and obedience, fidelity to Jesus, faithfulness to Jesus, and that obedience that flows from faith. That's what he's talking about, right? So his, his, his ministry as an apostle is not just those on the outside of the church But is anyone he comes across, what does he want from his interaction with them? I want them to be faithfully obedient to Jesus Christ. Where are they in that journey? I'll help them wherever they are in that journey. But the goal is faithful obedience. And then notice what it says. Faithful obedience for the sake of his name. So what motivates him? Grace. What motivates him? He wants to see Jesus glorified 
by the faithful obedience of people around him. That, that's what he wants. He wants God to be glorified. So what's your motivation for the Christian life? It should be this. I, I do what I do in my life because I want to see people love Jesus, honor Jesus, and worship Jesus. That's why I do what I do, based off the grace he's given me. I have a whole bunch of talents, resources, all this stuff. All of this stuff is used for this primary mission. You don't have to go anywhere special to do that. You don't have to, you don't have, to have any special kind of training to do that, though sometimes that might be helpful. You can just be you where you are. God's already given you all that stuff. He's already called you to this. You can be a gospel-centered person seeking to honor and glorify Jesus Christ right now by encouraging people to live for Jesus. Now notice the next thing that he says. He says, among all the nations, including you who are called, who are called and belong to, to Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul isn't just thinking of one group here. He's thinking of all people. All people, all Gentiles, and he includes the Romans here. Now, we're going to talk more about this whole thing of Gentiles and Jews and how it, this all works together. I don't want to preach the whole book of Romans before we actually get to that section. So, just tuck that away that we're going to talk about that later. Now, notice there's one last thing that Paul's going to discuss. He's going to discuss the identity of the Romans, these Roman believers He's going to talk about their membership. So he's already talked about the ministry. He's already talked about the mission. He's already discussed the motivation. Now he's going to talk about the membership. He says, to those in Rome who are loved by God. Those who are loved by God. Those who are believers. Those who are beloved. Those who are identified with Christ. He's talking to believers here. He's writing to believers, and he's saying, you, you are loved by God. Do you realize that the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, this is now something that's part of you? This is part of your identity? You are loved by God. He loves you. He sent his son to come and die on the cross for your sins. And it's not, it's not the kind of love that we might have when it comes to the bills or our favorite guitar, right, or our favorite gun, our favorite whatever, right? Some of those things can be fleeting. We might have a love-hate relationship with some of those things. You understand that when, when you are beloved by God, there is nothing that will be able to separate you from this love. He is dedicated to you becoming like Jesus Christ. And what he does he does so that you become like Jesus Christ. He does not leave you, nor does he forsake you, nor does he let you wallow in your sin. He loves you. And then notice this next thing. Called to be saints. We don't have to wait for a council someplace in Europe to announce our sainthood. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were given the righteousness of Christ, and you were declared part of his holy ones. You're a saint right now. That's part of the membership. It's part of the deal. You're a saint. You're set apart for the purpose of God. And then he says, grace to you and peace. 
He wants them to understand the grace of God. He wants them to understand the peace of God. We will discuss this grace and peace in great detail later. But this is what he wants as he's thinking about this letter and what he wants them to get out of this letter. He wants them to grow in this grace and understand this grace. He wants them to to understand what it means to be at peace with God and to have that peace from God. And then notice this. I I love this. It's, It's kind of perfectly sandwiched in these seven verses. From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. He starts off with Jesus. He ends with Jesus, right, in this section. By the way, this is all one sentence in the Greek. So the sentence literally starts with Jesus. In the middle, it's Jesus. And at the end, it's Jesus. Just in case you're confused, what Paul cares about, it's Jesus. But I also love this idea that at the beginning, he says, I'm a slave. And then at the end, you'll notice what he says, from God our Father. He's our Father. He does what's best for us. He provides for us. He protects us. He provides so many things for us. This is part of our ministry, right? This is part of our mission. Our mission is to view ourselves humbly as servants called and set apart for a particular message. What's our mission? This particular message, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's our message. What's our motivation? We want people to fall in love and worship Jesus Christ. And as we're doing that, how do we view ourselves as members? We view ourselves as being beloved by God, saints growing in grace and peace. This is our mission. So, as I said, we will learn plenty of other things moving forward. But this is important for us to keep the main thing the main thing. To stay focused on what God is is calling for us. This is that calling. I fear, I fear that part of Satan's strategy is to bamboozle us, to hijack, to confuse, to add in something that may not be as important as the gospel, and we become focused on that. And when we become focused on that, we then have a bad mission, we then will start developing bad strategies, and guess what ends up happening? Bad things happen. We, we forget ourselves. We forget who we are. We forget what we're about. We don't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And in a sense, if we start adding in other things to our mission, I think we start to narrow our life. I think we start living such a self-centered, narrowed life. To me, when I think about this incredible message that's universal throughout all time, universal to all people, that can transform a person, and when you start ministering to people with that view, that is a big world, right? That's a big life. That's a big mission. That's a big thing. That's something worth living for. That's worth something worth dying for. The more you add in, the more you supplement that, the smaller that focus becomes, the smaller and the more you start looking at yourself and your own desires. And then what do you get? Nothing. You get the form of godliness devoid its power. Nobody wants that. Nobody's ministered by that. Jesus doesn't want that. The community doesn't want that. I don't want that. You don't want that. Let's, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's stay on mission. 
And it's important for us to see this text because it helps us stay on mission. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and your grace that you've lavished upon us in your Son. Help us stay focused on the things that are the most important. Help us stay focused on you, upon the message. Uh, Help us just revel in your grace. And we look forward to all of the things that we're going to learn. How we're going to learn each of these things that Paul said, we're going to spend in great detail. And we thank you, Father, that you do tell us in great detail all of these things. And we just look forward to that. We look forward in just wallowing in the gospel, right? Marinating in it and thinking about this incredible message. We thank you and love you for everything you've given us. In your son's name, amen. I appreciate the help with the amen. That was great. Thank you.